What do over 200 successful startups from Silicon Valley and hundreds of women across the globe who were once suffering from their autoimmune diseases have in common? The answer is today's guest of season one, episode three of Inner Spartan Unleashed, Swetha Patel. Welcome to Inner Spartan Unleashed. This is a gut check. The weekly podcast from your host, the CEO of Inner Spartan, Renee Rodriguez. This is the opportunity you've waited your whole life for, the chance to become the hero of your own story. Each week, you will receive expert tips from leaders in business, health, fitness, and relationships. Our mission is to get you unstuck and living your best life. Get ready to Spartan up. Millions of women who silently struggle with autoimmune-related health issues have a new resource to turn to for help. Swetha Patel, founder of Healveda, is no stranger to success. She has advised and served as an executive for more than 200 high-growth startups in Silicon Valley. She's the founder of Startup Growth Mode, a best-selling author, an Oracle member, an elite brain trust of entrepreneurs that includes Sir Richard Branson, Tim Draper, and more. Sweta switched from tech to health after successfully dealing with three different autoimmune episodes. Today, she's on a mission to help women all over the world to find a natural way to defeat the crippling effects of autoimmune diseases. I met Sweta when I was the CEO of Ty Lopez's company, and we haven't really been in touch very much uh, and reconnected recently when I discovered that she had moved to Las Vegas. Sweta, welcome to Inner Spartan Unleashed. Thank you. How have you been? I've been great. I love Las Vegas more so than California. <laughs> yeah, I like to think of it as the new land of opportunity out here. A lot of uh, entrepreneurs moving out here. Absolutely. Sweta, we're in the midst of a global health and economic crisis. To make matters worse, a restrained, unarmed man named George Floyd was killed by law enforcement officers in Minneapolis on the 25th of May, sparking global protests and national social unrest. So I'd like to start by asking you this. If you could have dinner tonight with anyone, living or dead, to discuss the challenges that we're facing today, who would you break bread with and what would you ask? Great question. I would ask, let's see, probably Sir Richard Branson. Yeah. Because I know he has a business mind. I know he's been able to successfully turn his passions into success, no matter which way he turned. And if anybody knew, it would be him because he's always forthcoming. He's always looking at the future and what's ahead of us instead of what's behind us. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great choice. I couldn't argue with that one. So before we dig into your background of working with startups and your company, Startup Growth Mode, I'd like to talk to you about your new program, Healveda. For the past five years, you've worked with doctors to create a program that helps women with autoimmune diseases. What sparked your passion to pursue this project? It was a, basically a walk to self-discovery. When I turned about 22, I was in this rut of always wanting to start a new business, but I would start things and never complete them. And I realized the passion wasn't there for me to want to complete them. And then when I turned 28, I was at work in Silicon Valley one day and I was dealing with so many different symptoms and I had no idea it was my chronic illnesses. I had, you know, epilepsy when I was six. I had something called autoimmune hemolytic anemia when I was 21. And in my later years, I had something called Hashimoto's and all of these conditions like two of them were acute, so they were able to find out what it was. But 
where the sort of concern is like somebody could have this and not even know it and could be walking around with it. It usually takes five years to be diagnosed with it mm. unless you pass out somewhere and then they have to figure it out. It really began when I started having these conditions. I grew up in a family that saw this as a weakness, so I would always keep it hidden from the world. I also realized that no matter where I worked, no matter where I performed, I would always have to put in two or three times more work than the average person who was able to function normally. And it was really tough because in a normal workplace, people expect you to perform like an average person. And here you're dealing with these conditions and you're not letting anybody know. It wasn't until I was in Egypt, I took this class. They taught us how to read palms. What really fascinated me about this class was it told us what our gifts were. It gave us an idea of what we would be good at in the world. And for me, it was building a community, mastering community, mastering health. That's when it hit me. And I realized that all these years I've been hiding from something that was my truth. And I could be helping so many people, but I'm hiding from it and I could no longer hide from it anymore. Yeah. That's a pretty powerful experience when you can come into your truth, right? When you figure out what your purpose or path or just whatever your passion is. And oftentimes, as was the experience with you and many people, frankly, is that we allow the opinions, the projections, the insecurities of others to impact or affect what we do with our lives. Absolutely. And also the media and everything around us is... It doesn't support us except for right now during, you know, COVID season where everybody's, you know, social distancing and wearing masks and things like that. But when you have these conditions, you're you're very susceptible to anything. So people would always look at me weird when I'm like, I can't do the same things you do. And they're like, why? And I would have to come up with some excuse. But now I'm kind of like, well, I have this disease and I have it for the rest of my life. And this is why I am this way. Can you talk a little bit more about what autoimmune diseases are? You mentioned that sometimes you can go years without being diagnosed. Uh -huh. What are some of the things that people should look for? It's very hard to say because all these symptoms are so silent. Like, I mean, for me, I had a lot of congestion. People would ask me if I had a cold. And I'm like, no, I, I don't. This is just me on a regular day. And there would be other times where I just felt so tired. Like you, you have these symptoms of mono where you can't even move. Like you really are tired. And there were other things like, you know, rapid weight gain. And of course, like brain fog, your ability to concentrate on certain things. And sometimes, you know, with these different symptoms, you're prone to making mistakes. And in the workplace, especially in Silicon Valley, they don't give you a warning. You're basically out. And it got to a point where the other executives saw me making spelling errors and they saw like grammatical issues in, in my work. And they said, hey, you're, you're done here. And it had nothing to do with my ability to work or my performance or anything like that. But I was too afraid to tell them that 
this disease causes these symptoms that makes me react this way because I didn't feel like they would understand. So it's my understanding that autoimmune diseases cannot be cured, yet the symptoms can be treated oftentimes. How does Hilvita, your program, help women who are suffering from these autoimmune conditions? How does it help them out? What can they expect from your program? So after going through three of these conditions, starting with epilepsy, which is more of a neurological autoimmune condition to something called autoimmune hemolytic anemia, where it was attacking my red blood cells and I had no oxygen circulating in my body to something that was Hashimoto's where it was attacking my thyroid. With all these conditions, I saw something similar, and that was the adrenal gland. It starts in the adrenal gland because your body is in this fight or flight mode, and that's when everything starts to go haywire and it starts to attack something in your body. Then you have to sort of calm it down. And a lot of people say it's emotional. It could be. A lot of people say it's stress, um, but with my company, how I've dealt with this was, you know, I went to multiple doctors. I Google searched myself. A lot of my family members have sort of kicked me to the curb because they're like, okay, you know, this girl's kind of weird. And, and so, you know, I kind of was on this mission on my own. And it's hard when you're on your own you're sick, everything's a financial burden, and you're trying to find answers. And, you know, Google has so much information, and so does Yelp, and anybody could write a good review for anyone these days. So I said, why don't I bring anyone that's helped me out on my journey in a positive way? I'm going to bring them to my platform, and I'm going to have them work with these women in a very live way where they're able to interact with them, ask them questions. So even if these women who are from all over the world having trouble dealing with their health, they can get a second opinion. They can get someone else to look at their labs. They can ask questions about certain symptoms they're having without paying another $200 to a doctor to get in the door for like maybe 10 to 15 minutes and then leave again. Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned the adrenal gland. You know, I suffered from exogenous Cushing's, which meant that I ingested not of my own accord too many steroids. And that caused my adrenal function to go into overdrive. To, to work overdrive, right. And so I flooded my body with too much cortisol. It just created havoc on my health. In my case, it was a doctor who actually was giving me injections that she said would not harm me. And I learned from that experience to make sure that you always question what your doctors are giving you. Because mm -hmm. she had a proprietary concoction, which she told me was mostly vitamin D. It was a dermatologist who was treating me for eczema. And it turns out that the injection had fairly high doses of something called Kenalog 10, which is a very hardcore steroid. Most humans should only get a maximum of one maybe two shots every couple of years if you really need it. I was getting two to four a month for two years and it just yeah. wrecked my health. And I only bring that up in so far as relating to the issues that something that we don't really think about in terms of the levels of our stress and how that cortisol can affect our overall system uh, impacts us. So it's something that we really all should be a little bit more aware of. I'm much more aware now of hormonal issues than I ever was before <laughs> because they've forced me to pay attention to them. So you're also a well-established advisor for startups, having worked with over 200 companies. Why is it important for a startup to work with someone like you when launching their new company? Well, because I've worked with over 200 startups in five different incubation programs, and 
I kind of have an idea after that whether a startup is going to fail or succeed depending on how they plan. And everything I've learned with these 200 startups I've incorporated in my own company, Helveda, and I learned that especially in Silicon Valley, many of these companies start with a product. With Helveda, I started with my story. I didn't really have a strong connection with my family members and my friends. It's really hard to connect with people. I'm sure you can understand when yeah. you live with an illness. You know, you live a totally different lifestyle. And I was on Facebook and I just put my story out there. And I said, you know what, at least I can connect with people who also are feeling all these different things in their life. And I had over 700 women respond to my story. They shared their own story with me. I said, I really want to help these women. I want to help these women heal from these nasty diseases. And, you know, you mentioned eczema and you mentioned symptoms. And these are sort of the same symptoms that show up when you have any of these autoimmune conditions, like you have skin tags and you have skin issues or you may have inflammation. Inflammation shows up in so many different mm -hmm. ways in your body or even outside of your body. And you may never connect it to a disease. And that's the scary part. Yeah. As you were talking about your story, it reminded me of Simon Sinek. I'm sure you're aware of him. And he talks about understanding or knowing your why. And he says that people don't buy what you're doing. They buy why you do it. Because we all relate to stories uh, more than we do to features and benefits, right? That's one thing with over the 200 startups I work with, none of these CEOs ever started with their story. Yeah. They started with a revenue plan. For me, that was great. I mean, they hired a lot of salespeople. They hired a lot of operational people to run the show. And at some point, it kind of just took a decline. And in my heart, I knew it was because they didn't have a story. They didn't have a mission that was driven to really help people and leave a legacy in this world. Yeah. As someone who's been a contract CEO for several organizations and some for startups and others who need help scaling, I always tend to look first at the Genesis store. That's what people are going to ultimately relate with. And whether you look at successful businesses, Apple, Google, Nike, you know, the two guys in the garage, you always have that Genesis story. Uh -huh. There are other things that you have as part of that, but everything needs to start with a really strong story. But going back to the startups that you've helped, and for those who may be considering a startup now, because of listeners here at Interspart and Alicia are primarily entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, is there a common denominator that you found for each scenario, meaning for those that succeeded and those that failed? What's the one common denominator for each of those that you saw repeating itself over and over? I would say a lot of the ones that were very product driven, product driven, got a lot of funding in the beginning. I always used to see those startups not do so well. They would be the CEOs that graduated from like a Yale or a Harvard or Ivy League school and they would have remarkable presentation and get funded. And I felt like when a CEO gets a lot of money, and they don't know how to spend that money and they don't know how to handle a budget or what they should delegate and what they should do themselves, it creates a problem. And that's something I saw with a lot of the startups that failed, that they weren't, they were either very product driven, they were very funding driven, where they were like always on the hunt for a new round of funding yeah. versus 
their passion. I mean, the ones that were successful were the ones that didn't care about funding. They cared about helping people and helping people get from point A to point B in life or wherever they are into a better place with their life. Solving a problem. Solving a problem, finding a solution. And they were passionate about it because it had impacted their own life. And now they're solving it for other people so they don't have to go through that same issue. And when you come from that sort of standpoint, you don't care about how much time it's going to take. You don't care about how much money you have to put in. You don't care about your losses. You're just looking to win at some point. And that's, I think, what separates the wantapreneurs from the entrepreneurs. Yeah, I agree with everything that you just said. For all the companies that I've gone into to help either turn around or pivot or help scale, the ones that struggle, the ones that fail are oftentimes ones where the founders are still deeply involved in the company in terms of running the organization. There are some founders that are naturally talented. But, you know, we've all heard that phrase founderitis. And I think particularly in small businesses, that's always a problem where I find that those companies, those organizations don't recognize when it's time to bring in people who have done this professionally. You know, this might be their first time at bat and they ruin or ultimately create a pain in a situation that might otherwise be very fruitful and successful if they just brought in some of the right help at the right time. And so from your experience, how has this climate impacted the people that you know in your circle, the folks that you're working with? It's dividing basically the real entrepreneurs from the ones that kind of want to be entrepreneurs just for the fame, the success or whatever it may be, because now you're put in a place where you have to think on your feet. You have to think about all the changes in the world and you really have to think about the future and what you can do now to switch your direction to have the best impact. The entrepreneurs that can figure that out are going to win. The entrepreneurs that are not able to make a shift and they're hoping that once Corona is over, one these riots are over, whatever it is, things will go back to normal. Those are those that may not do so well. They're just not prepared for the shift. There is no going back. It's a new normal. Yeah. And they'll continue to have blind spots about what's coming next. Exactly. Part of that goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that why did they get into the business in the first place? There's been sort of a fetishization of entrepreneurship in the world. And maybe people like me who like to talk a lot about it, maybe I've contributed to that. But it's really about what you were saying earlier. If your primary goal is to make money, is to have, you know, some sort of celebrity status, then those are the people that flame and burn out the quickest. It's those that have a mission to add real value to the lives of others that have staying power. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a clothing line in London that I was working with, they shift their whole focus to lounge clothes over party wear. Yeah. And they're known for their party clothes. And the shift was fast. Now, those clothing lines that didn't take the opportunity to make the shift are the ones that are going to suffer. And I think that's what a lot of these entrepreneurs and CEOs don't realize is that to succeed as an entrepreneur, you have to have the ability to think on your feet and change at any given moment and be able to adapt to that change. Yeah. And part of that kind of leads me into my next question, because you talk a lot about when you're either starting a business or launching a product, you've discussed preparation and your performance and you've related it to being the same as an athlete. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Like an athlete, like Michael Jordan, you have to practice, 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 right? And he never got paid to practice. That was something he did on his own, but he eventually perfected it and 
he performed and his performance was always stellar every time, right? And as an entrepreneur, you kind of go through that same thing. And I kind of went through the same thing prior to even meeting you at Ty's place where I was just in this mode of failing, failing, failing. Then I found something where I could really feel like I I could be devoted to this. I mean, other times, you know, I felt like, okay, if I keep doing this, I, I could gain a passion for it. But the truth is like, you can't gain a passion for anything. It's kind of like, you know, in sports, it's like you have to love it. You have to be in it. And if you're not and you're just playing for the claps of the audience or the money, then you're eventually going to be replaced. I agree. And I also want to challenge the thinking a little bit, because one of the things that I find, at least in the mentees that I work with, I draw a distinction between coaching and mentoring. For me, mentoring isn't a paid gig. It's something that, you know, you choose to invest your time into someone who you see has potential. And my payoff as a mentor is their success, right? So I have a handful of mentees that I work with, and then I have my professional clients as both a mentor and someone who is a contract CEO and also who. You know, I have my own businesses and my own investments, and I have strategic coaching clients. In all of those areas, one of the things that I find holds a lot of people back is this need, or rather this thinking, that they're doing something wrong, or they're being held back because they haven't found that thing that they're passionate about. I think you said earlier, you have to have your passion in order to do it. And I think what happens is oftentimes proficiency, When you get good at something, you can then develop a passion for what it is that you're doing. The pursuit of passion, at least from my perspective, a little less important than the pursuit of excellence in something that you're interested in putting out there for the world. I have a passion for writing, but I'm not at a point where I could make a living solely off of writing. But the stuff that I'm doing, I've developed a passion. For example, you know, Ty and I had been friends for about 10 years and we'd been business partners in a couple of things, an agency, uh, for example, uh, called Propaganda LA. And, you know, I met Ty when he was in the financial services firm that was called Legacy Life Group that I'd rebranded to LLG Financial. So when Ty moved back to California and started at that time a a dating company called Elite Meeting, and then eventually this thing that was at tylopez.com, which eventually became called the Knowledge Society, you know, he kept saying, I'm doing this thing, come out here and help me with it. And I was living still in North Carolina at the time. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. So I just didn't have that much interest. Fast forward to 2014, I think it was. I was going through a divorce. I decided to move back to California where I grew up. And so I called Ty and I said, listen, I'm on my way out there, loaded up the truck. I'm heading out there. And since I needed to reestablish my network, because at that point I'd been on the East Coast for about 20 years, I thought I'll contract with Ty for three months, help him get this thing that had something to do with Lamborghinis and books, which I had no idea what he was talking about but that I'd help him get this thing off the ground. And then I'll go off and do my own thing. At that time, I thought it was going to be photography. I'd established one of the largest photography studios on the East Coast. And I thought I was going to do that. But after a few months, I really liked what he was doing. And he asked me to stay on as a CEO, and I did. And so then I developed a passion for helping others. I developed a passion for leaving the the services-oriented business, branding, marketing, design, and then in a later photography, to putting together informational products, educational products, coaching products, content that helps elevate the lives of others. And so then it's not something that I understood or had a passion for before going into that. I discovered it. I discovered it through doing it, becoming proficient at it and helping scale his company. I was there from pre-revenue to to the here in my garage days just after that, before I resigned. That proficiency and being part of that organization helped me develop this passion 
for helping others. It's interesting because initially you mentioned writing as a passion, but yeah. you could never see yourself making a living off of oh, it. It's not that I don't see myself huh. making a living because I do. I just haven't gotten there yet. You haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. But I think, you know, through self-discovery, I found that when we were first talking, it's about solving a problem. Your passion has to solve a problem. It has to inspire people to do something. You can't say my passion is playing basketball and it's like, yeah, you can play basketball all your life, but it's going to be hard to monetize if it doesn't really solve a problem with you know, Ty Lopez, you may have not found yourself interested at first, but then as you started working, you gained that passion. You, you liked helping others because you saw that it was solving something. It was inspiring people to become better and create better lives. And that created the passion for you. But I think, you know, the passion is driven by being able to solve something, by being able to inspire people by being able to make people think differently and change their perspectives. I think passion drives all of those things. Sweta, if I were to ask three or four of your friends, what's the one adjective they'd use to describe you? What would that be? Depends on which three or four <laughs> friends. <laughs> Let's say three or four that you trust, to be honest. Probably they would say I'm hardworking, driven, and probably never give up. <laughs> Yeah. But that's more than three words, three adjectives. Yeah, no, that's good. And you and I are more acquaintances than friends. We're just starting to develop that friendship. But when I think of Sweta Patel, I think of someone who's smart, who's articulate, and who's resilient, especially now knowing your story. Given the current climate that we're in, especially, what are some of the things that you'd advise our listeners to increase and strengthen their resiliency? Because if it's not obvious that you need it now, you know, resiliency in your finances, resiliency in your health. Resiliency in your mindset, resiliency in your relationships. If you don't get it now, you're never probably going to get it. <laughs> but I'm assuming that most people do get it, that it's really important mm -hmm. that a rainy day fund is not enough. We need more abundance in every area of our life. What would you recommend to those that need to increase their resiliency? I would give them three different tips, maybe. Um, they can pick which one or they can use all three. Basically, when I first launched Heal Veda, I was working with a mentor and I thought I had this stellar product. It was 47 bucks a month, very affordable. And I'm like, you know, we're, we're going to cap it after we get, he goes, cap it after you get 50 people. I said, no, we're going to cap it after I get 100 people. I think this is going to like do really well. So, so I had the launch and I had one person sign up. Yeah. And I was devastated. I mean, I was like, this is my passion. I'm trying to give to people. I'm trying to do something good. The first thing that comes to your mind after something like that is failure, right? So my mentor was like, okay, you're allowed to be sad for a day. Yeah. Then you have to like get up and think of a different strategy and just implement it. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm allowed to be sad for today. So I took the rest of the day off and I was just upset. And the next day, I just got back up and I went back to my audience and I said, hey, I put a lot of work into this, guys. Why didn't you buy? I wanted to know what held them back and I was looking for honest feedback. Of course, you get the typical people that say the cost and that they didn't see the reminder or whatever. And so that kind of gave me a better idea of how I could make the shift. And 
with that, I could develop a new strategy and I got back up to do it. But, you know, a lot of people would just stay down and say, hey, I put my all into this. It didn't work out and it's not going to work out and they'll see themselves as a failure, right? Too many people see these things as failures instead of as learning opportunities from which to iterate from. Right. Right. And some of that, like you did the right thing. You went out and you surveyed your clients. You know, someone on Facebook posted yesterday, they have a version 3.0 of the software that they put together, which uses machine learning, uh, half million steps or variables to identify the right ad that you should run on Facebook, right? Now, I haven't seen the program. I don't know if it's any good or not. I assume it, it is. This person seems fairly legitimate. <laughs> but they were asking a question about the tagline and they were asking their friends on Facebook, of which I'm one of them. And the tagline was very feature oriented as opposed to evoking an emotion or suggesting an outcome. So everyone gave their suggestions. And I said, look, go to your actual customers, ask them four or five questions that invoke long form responses. Take those responses, create three or four buckets from your ideal critical core client to your lowest lifetime value one or whatever four buckets are important to you. Take those responses once you get statistically significant numbers of responses. If you don't have a data scientist on staff, send it out to someone overseas. It shouldn't cost more than a couple hundred bucks to do a cluster analysis. Have them feed you back those keywords and place those people in their appropriate buckets. Now what you've got is not only do you have the language that you should be using for your tagline, you have the language that you should be using in all of your marketing because then you're going to utilize the number one tool in successful persuasion, which is mirroring. It's speaking back to someone in the language that they can understand and that they resonate with. So I encourage you to do the same if that would help you in you know, reaching your audience as well. Absolutely. And the second tip I would say is, you know, with, with my health, for example, I had to go from being misdiagnosed to from doctor to doctor who like, you know, and all these doctors, it's it's so crazy because they're all like, oh, yeah, I'm right. They're so confident about their way of doing things they make you feel like you don't need a second opinion. So you really have to follow your instinct. And for me, I knew that whatever this doctor was telling me was not right. I knew that the medicine he was giving me was not helping me and it's not working. And I, I told them continuously. And then, you know, they would just fire back saying, oh, but he's the best doctor and he's the best this. And He's worked with 25,000 patients and, you know, and everybody has their accolades. Everybody has their, you know, testimonials, but it doesn't apply to you. And, um, you know, when you're resilient, you don't let anybody or anything tell you what's right for you. And with me, I, I kind of had to take a step back and say, okay, well, I'm going to keep going on. Because even though all these people are giving me their opinions and saying how right they are and it just doesn't resonate with me, you know, and and doing that, it made me more in tune with my own body, my mind and my my body connection was more in tune. They were working together. I think it's developed through being resilient. That's great. And you said you had a third tip. Yes. So the third tip, don't get too attached to anyone or anything in life. For me, if I stayed really attached to my friends or even, you know, my family members, they were sort of holding me back from going after my dreams. And it's sad that you kind of have to 
to sort of bypass people. But if you really want to go after your dreams, you have to be unstoppable. The people that love you most will understand your journey or at least be supportive if they don't understand it. And those that get in your way, and especially those that are toxic to it, you should try to do as they say in 12-step programs, which is to uh, detach with love. Being an entrepreneur is obviously a stressful endeavor. How do you manage the stress that's inherent with being an entrepreneur for your own business, as well as helping to manage the stress of your team members? I basically set some time to decompress every day. I have to. If I don't, then I'm just a wreck the next day. And I'm always looking at the way I react to things because, you know, as an entrepreneur, random things will come up, including the AC going out on a really hot day. And (laughs) you're kind of just having to um, blow out all these fires and you have to be prepared and you have to be able to think on your feet and manage a team while doing that. And so one of the things that I had to learn was that I can never be like the weakest link, you know, with my team members, because if I'm leading them, then I want to lead by example. And that's, I think, the best way. So if I come into work and I'm just like, hey, I don't feel like it, guys, they're going to be like, all right, well, time to, you know, party off and and have a great day. So I I always have to be on my A game. Um, And that's the thing is like, A lot of the startups I worked with, there would be CEOs that had too much playtime in the startup and they would do things like, you know, let's go to the Warriors games on the weekends or, you know, have like bike rides in Napa and do all these fun recreational activities and they would be great to bond and, you know, make new friends. But at the end of the day, if you're not going after your dream, someone else is, and they're going to do it a lot better. And that was one of the things that I saw was like a, a lot of scattered focus. They weren't focused on, you know, one dream. It was the focus was everywhere and the fun was included. I'm of the opinion that work-life balance generates more stress in your life. You always feel like you're doing it wrong where I prefer work-life harmony, trying to integrate those things. So there is some play perhaps in my work, but you always have to make sure that in my worldview that you have some objectives and you know what's the biggest thing that you need to do that day to move the needle forward and nothing gets done until that thing is done. But, you know, we do try to integrate all parts of our lives. There is no separation for me as an entrepreneur, for me as a writer, for me as a father, for me as a fiance, for me as a whatever. How do you see work-life balance versus work-life harmony? I would say with work-life balance, it, there, there's a lot of like, like you said, you, it's, it's a lot of stress actually, because you're trying to find that balance and trying to separate all three things. And I think for me, I've integrated because given my health situation, given everything in my life, I, I wanted to create something for myself where I didn't have to go to the office nine to five every day. I didn't have to do things at certain hours or certain times of the day. I can do them when I feel is right for me. That way I'm able to get my workout. I'm able to, you know, do things for my health and I'm able to work when I want to and also deliver. And for me, the delivery is, you know, the the most important of all this because 
if you can't deliver a product or service to a customer, then everything is broken basically at that point. Now, do you have any systems or mental frameworks for decision-making, learning, or execution on, on your delivery that you'd like to fall back on? I would say with the delivery, I always, through my experience working with these different startups, every startup I worked with, they would have a customer success team. Mm -hmm. And um, they would have some sort of onboarding process that they would use to ensure that the customer was satisfied up to a certain point. And that's um, one of the things that piqued my interest when it came to building my own startup was that, you know, they would have this customer success, customer happiness team that would make sure that they were happy in the first few months of the product. But then after that, the sixth month, we had to acquire a new customer. Yeah. And that, that made me wonder, it's like, why couldn't these frameworks that these CEOs were using, why wasn't their customer retention? Why was the lifetime value of the customer so small in the way that they would be happy for a certain point but the drop-off point was not that long thereafter. And why was there focused on acquisition? So all these different things coming up with all these different startups, it made me think about how I'm gonna do it differently. And now that I work with a customer success person, I not only make sure that they're retained after the third month, but I also make sure that they feel like they're getting the value every month, mm -hmm. that they tell us what is wrong and how we can deliver value the next month. You know, and we're always looking for ways to improve and we're always looking to change. And when you're driven by change, I think you have a better delivery than someone who isn't. Do you have a system that would give you that regular feedback loop from your clients on where they are at in terms of happiness or success cycle? I would prefer to use like a gamification mm -hmm. sort of process where they get a certain amount of points for doing certain actions or like participating with your product or your service. And that kind of indirectly tells you, you yeah. know, like whether this person is interested or they're engaged with your product or service or not. And if they're not, you know, like, for example, um, when I was using this particular service, I found out there was the drop off rate during COVID. It had nothing to do with my product. But it made me realize that I had to think about how I was going to shift my my service to be more friendly to the people who have lost their jobs during mm -hmm. COVID. And that was the thing was, you know, there were the subscribers were just staying there. But because of COVID, they're, they were being distracted by the news, the media and everything else going on in the world. This was like the last thing on their plate. Yeah. So then I decided to um, take some of the COVID news and send them emails on how they can best prepare for next month. I partnered with a company called Chronically Capable that helps you. It's a great name. Yeah. yeah. helps you find work from home jobs for people who have chronic illnesses. And with that partnership, I was able to help them find work. So they would still be able to pay for my service. That's great. At Inner Spartan, we have accountability teams. We're not a convenient service. 
we're a service about generating outcomes for people, right? So we have accountability teams who help keep the client accountable. And conversely, they also help keep the company accountable. So we have a system. It's, you know, fairly simple. And I, I don't think it's unique to us. But what we use is just a traffic light system, red, green, and, you know, yellow, right? So green is everything's going great. And we teach this, by the way, to our clients. So that our clients, when they're writing into us or whatever the touch point is, they can say, I'm green lighting today. Green lighting is they're, they're humming right along. They're succeeding. They're hitting their goals. They're doing really well. They're excited. They're enthusiastic. They're, you know, they're, they're jazz. They're where you want them to be, right? Yellow is they're, you know, they're almost that way, but, you know, they might have some things that are holding them back a little bit and, you know, you need to touch in with them or help give them a tweak that might help them go to green. And then you have the reds, which are full stop, drop everything you're doing. Make sure that you get with that person. Make sure that you can turn that situation around. Or if you're just not a good fit for them, gently help them find a better solution. Having that not just internally as part of our framework of operation, but just teaching that to our clients as well, I think has had an enormous impact on our ability to flourish. That's a great idea. I love the different lights. <laughs> yeah, feel free to steal it. I'm sure I stole it from somebody. I don't remember who though. I see that you support multiple foundations and nonprofits, which leads me to believe that you agree with me that entrepreneurship is a force for good in the world. What's your best tip for making the world a better place through business efforts? My best tip, make sure that it leaves people's lives better than when they started. Because if it doesn't, then why are you doing what you're doing? <laughs> and that's not to say that we're going to do it right all the time, right? We're going to have clients that are in customers that aren't always going to be happy with us. But I think that's where integrity and doing the right thing by them, like I said earlier, helping them find a better fit in a loving way is really what's important for a business. Absolutely. What is a common myth about your profession that you'd like to debunk today? A common myth. I would say a lot of people make it look easy on social media. Yeah. They make it look like it's something that you can get in a box and just, uh, you know, set everything up and go. But it really is not. You can learn entrepreneurship, you can, you know, go to business school. But I don't think that people that learn about it actually know it as well as people who have done it and failed it many times. And I think that's the thing is everybody is so gun ho about going to get their MBA and nothing against the MBA, but at the same time, um, education doesn't make up for actually failing and doing things and taking action and um, getting experience in the real world. I think higher education, when you boil it all down, when you strip yourself of the degrees, what it gives you is an ability to think critically, an ability to manage your time, an ability to set priorities. And those are all things that you can learn outside of school. And I'm not one of those education is bad, you know, people. What assumptions did you have about running a business before you started your own that you know not to be true now? Well, you can't run your business on passion because according to the e-myth, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with business, it's uh, you have to really be able to juggle things well and I think one of the biggest things, biggest learning points for me was hiring the right people without easily trusting everybody. And that was sort of my weakest link was, hey, you know, I, you, you look like you're trustable. I'm trustable. Let's work together. And um, it doesn't work that way. And uh, I had to learn, you know, many hard lessons, but now I ask them a lot of questions. I go through 
a pretty rigorous process before I just work with anybody. I find I, I try to work with people that like could teach me something in the first or the second interview. And yeah. if I can't get them to do that, then it's hard for me to think about what value they could bring to my company. That's right. You're spot on. I think if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You got to try to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are. At least that's been my approach. And I also have the philosophy of hiring very slowly and firing very quickly. It's cruel to keep somebody on who's not a good fit. And it's unfair to yourself to act out of a sense of fear or scarcity and bring on people too quickly who might you know, just cause you to slow your growth. So that's really important. Sweda, what's the most interesting thing about you that we wouldn't learn from reading your bio or checking your LinkedIn? Most interesting thing. Well, I guess I've traveled. I don't know if it's interesting, but I've traveled to over 43 countries by myself. Yeah, it's amazing. Just on a spontaneous whim. I don't think people would know that I've written three books on relationships. <laughs> no. Can those books still be found online? Yeah, they're still on Amazon. And what, what are they called? Uh, one of them is called uh, Watch Out Ladies. The other one's called Watch Out Dads. And the last one was called Watch Out Brides. And that wasn't, that was co-authored with somebody else. We'll put links to that and everything else we've discussed uh, in the show notes so people can go check those out. Sweta, given that Heal Veda is such an important part of your life right now that you're very passionate about and you're working to help improve the lives of others, what's the one question I should have asked you regarding autoimmune diseases or Heal Veda? that I didn't know enough to ask. Hard to say because you asked me, how does one know when they, they have it? You asked me, what are the symptoms? But you never asked me, how could someone support someone who does have it? Yeah, great question. And, um, you know, that's something that I want to spread awareness about, especially in today's world, because a lot of women, and especially women who have autoimmune conditions, they feel pressured. They feel pressured to go out. They feel pressured to, you know, go to the club and, and act like everybody else. And they can't live that lifestyle. And a lot of people don't understand them because they think that they look normal. They don't look sick. So, you know, why can't they act like a normal person? And I think that's when, you know, the understanding has to come in and the best way to support someone is to understand, you know, their lifestyle, understand their food allergies, their the way that they live and, and support them instead of trying to change them and mold them into something that they cannot be. They don't have the choice to be an average person because it's either they got to take care of their bodies or get another autoimmune condition. I'm breaking into this episode real quickly because it was an important question that I forgot to ask Sweda while she was here in my home studio in Las Vegas. So I called her up. Let's listen to that insert right now and then we'll circle back to some final thoughts. Hey Sweda, how's it going? Going great. Thanks for taking my call. The podcast is great and I just had a follow-up question for you that I forgot to ask during the show. Your Heal Veda service is exclusively focused at women. Is there a reason for that when these types of immune issues affect both genders? Yes. So basically, I wanted to create a company that I could most emphasize and resonate with 
And because I'm a woman, I, I know the functions of the hormones as a woman and I can understand what women are going through. It's harder for me to grasp the same sort of understanding from a man's perspective. So I decided to uh, make it an even more niche market than all of these like gurus out there that specialize in autoimmune conditions because most of them um, like deal with both men and women genders. And I thought, you know, as an entrepreneur, I wanted to really have a, a niche market. So I decided to try all women. About half of my audience is male. Do you have any resources or tips for them if they're suffering from autoimmune-related issues? Yes, uh, of course. I mean, with some of these resources, they're related to both because when you have autoimmune conditions, you like no two people, no matter what gender you are, have the same symptoms. But the concept of autoimmunity is the same. Um, and with that, I, I do have those resources that they can use and, and try to um, fight the different viruses and infections that are causing these conditions in their body. The website will have all sorts of uh, alternative professionals that are here to help in any way possible. And I gathered this network just through my own journey of um, dealing with these conditions, and they're more than willing to help both male and female. Sweta, I think that we've barely scratched the surface when it comes to the things that you're passionate about, about business, entrepreneurship, life in Las Vegas. I'd love to have you back sometime if that's something that you're interested in doing. Tell us, where can our listeners connect with you online? Um, facebook.com forward slash sweat speaks you can connect with me on instagram at sweat speaks or email me sweat at startup growth it's been such a pleasure having you here today and talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better i really appreciate you being on inner spartan unleashed thanks for being here thank you for having me but don't give up just hold on tight It'll be all right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show, rate and comment on each episode and share this with your family and friends. I'll see you next week on Inner Spartan Unleashed. Ooh, I know you've done your part. It's not fair. You did your time. How much longer? Suffer in this life, but don't give up, just hold on tight.